Hey everybody, this is Tyler Unsel. And this is Oren Gray. Hey, every two weeks, Oren and I get together to discuss how our featured horror movie might be used in the classroom. Tonight, we are talking all about cannibal humanoids living under our cities. That's right, we are talking Chud tonight. Or, as I like to call it, Home Alone the prequel, because it's got like all the fucking movie stars from that movie. <laughs> but before we get there, Oren, what's going on, man? Uh, I I am. It's January's over. So thank God I survived January. It was touch and go a few times. Um, I don't even know how many words I wrote in January. It was many, many more than 50,000. It was easily twice that. It was wild. Well, I, I can't wait to read some of it. Is there? Uh, I, I know it's mostly for that one big project, but uh, yeah, yeah. You got any stories or any of that kind of stuff coming out? I mean, no, nothing coming out right now. Um, I mean, the you know odds and ends nonfiction stuff, either at Signal or uh, at Unwinnable. But for the most part, no. It, it's all been either uh, work for hire freelance stuff or working on that big tabletop gaming project. Nice. Yeah, very good. Very good. Well, uh, now would be a good time to transition into what we're reading, what we're watching, what we're excited about. Oren, you have something interesting on here from Shudder. What's that about? So, uh, like, Winter Beast is this movie. It was shot in the 80s. I think it was actually released in, like, 95 or 92 or something. Um, but it's, like, it's a very low-budget regional um, sort of riff on the the whole Evil Dead formula. But it's, like full of stop motion monsters and special effects and really good. I like shit. that. That's cool. Um, and it's very, uh, like it's kind of infamous for being just very bizarre and strange and, you know, an oddball regional horror movie. But, um, so it's kind of been on my list for a long time, but I never had a chance to see it. And now it's on shutters. So I caught it the other day. Um, for people who have seen it, it goes along with other movies that are similar, like uh, Frostbiter or Equinox, um, that are kind of these like low-budget regional movies, a la Evil Dead. Nice. So, okay. Yeah. So, but a ton of fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's good fun, and uh, right. also it takes place in the fall, even though it's called Winter Beast, um, <laughs> which makes a ton of sense. Like, and not just not just one of those situations where they just weren't filming in the winter, like how Halloween ostensibly takes place on Halloween, but they were filming in the summer. Right, um, right. No, like it, it, it canonically takes place in fall. Like they're having a fall festival. There's big banners that say like happy okay. fall festival. I don't know why it's called winter beast. Um, right, we okay. had a, we had a, we had a joke on, um, on Twitter right after I watched it that, uh, you know, it, it like, there should be another movie that takes place in winter. That's called autumn beast. I like it. So it's always, <laughs> uh, you know, like, uh, like one uh, one season off, yeah, yeah, I like it. Right. Okay, I'm down. Uh, but uh, do check out Shutter. We we're big fans of Shutter, anyways, and uh, this is, I think, just one more weird. Like, it's just a great place to kind of lose a little bit of time and to get caught up on some of the shit that everyone else talks about. Like, I think I've seen a lot of scary movies, but I I'm not nearly as well. <laughs> versed you know as you or mm -hmm. a lot of other folks so it's great to hear those wrecks and then have an easy way to find all that you know mm -hmm. oh yeah shutter's Shutter great and like and they pull in addition to like their original programming or whatever they pull weird stuff like this that's like that has been in the past hard to find which is fantastic yeah 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 absolutely well and i mean as you and I both grew up kind of in the early phase of the internet, right? And mm -hmm. uh, I can hear typing. Is that you? I did a little typing, me? yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, hold on, let me mark this. Five, two, three. Sorry. Five. No, you're good, you're good. Some, someone was messaging me and I was telling them to that I would get back to them. It's all good. I ain't, I ain't even worried. I'm just making sure it's not, you know, how my fucking audio issues have been all fucked. Uh, and... Oh, yeah. Uh, as much as you and I grew up kind of in the 
early stages of the internet where like it felt like the wild west you know like Mm -hmm. you might be able to find shit and uh probably not and sometimes it would pop up and sometimes it'd go away i i'm really amazed now like chud is a, a fantastic example of that i think Outside of the blockbuster video, where you most definitely could find a copy of Chud, because I remember the cover art on it so, you know, like iconically. It has uh, such it, good cover art. Oh yeah, but <laughs> but very much a product of that era. Uh, like, if 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 the one copy was checked out at blockbuster, then you were fucked, right? And now, yeah. like, this shit's like. Uh, it's it's like Jeff Bezos is like, yeah, go watch Chud. You know, like it's on Amazon, right. which is, yeah. you know, amazing to me. And, and I, go for it. No, you go ahead. I was just going to say, I think some of that may be like the Shudder effect where I think they have, sh- they, they have some of the market share, at least a little bit. So you have Amazons that are like, well, shit, we better go get this because we know there's going to be a competitor that's going to try to get it. So like, Shudder's making things great, I think, for horror fans that aren't even subscribing to Shudder, you know? Right. Yeah, I mean, and, like, some, something that I think about a lot is just, like, how much access to film has changed in film's relatively short history. Because we're basically only 100 years into film history. I mean, a little over, but, right. you know, for all intents yeah. and purposes, it's basically been a century, right? And up until when we were kids, basically, if you saw a movie, you saw it that once and then you'd never see it again unless you were like a serious collector. Right. Um, like people who actually bought, you know, 16 millimeter reels and stuff like that. Those are the only people who could watch a movie whenever they wanted. Um, yeah. And then we got like home video, even, you know, just 40 years ago. Um, and. And that was the beginning of being able to watch movies kind of whenever you wanted. And now we can not only watch movies whenever we want, we can find almost any movie that exists somehow, whether it's streaming or buying a Blu-ray or whatever we do. But I mean, there's a, there's a a, a relatively affordable, accessible way to access almost any movie. Yeah. Well, and as, as many problems as the internet has provided for us, I, I do think the access to film, with, with the acknowledgement, it comes from a, a place of privilege to have a device to be able to stream something, right. period, right? But once you overcome that obstacle, it really is democratized access to movies and access to film, right? So, right. Uh, and in that way, I think it has perhaps strengthened the general discourse around movies but maybe weakened the idea of the film critic, right? Because now everybody gets to be a fucking film critic. And the, the bottom line is, uh, like, I don't give a shit about everybody's opinions. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like yeah. there, there are some opinions I just don't care about. Right. I mean, but I also think like, I think that we have, um, easily two decades probably more than that of weakening the sort of role of the critic anyway, where the critic has stopped being a person who attempts to expand your understanding of a movie and instead becomes a person who tells you whether a movie is good or not. That's fair. Like they, they, they are now, um, influencers right instead of yep. instead of actual critics doing actual criticism they are people who tell you whether to spend your time and money on this thing um and that that is not the the sort of in my opinion the sort of appropriate role of criticism of artwork it is to to help expand understanding of that work yeah i i, I think that's a really important dichotomy and as signal horizon kind of got into the tiktok game it is amazing what like gets a lot of views and what strengthens the discourse, you know, like uh, what gets a lot of views is like a guy looking into the camera being like, you've got to watch this movie on Netflix. It'll blow your mind. Right. And then him talking for a minute about all the weird and crazy stuff that happens in this movie. Right. Which is fine. And that's kind of interesting and whatever. Right. Right. But we conflate that with film criticism, which is, like understanding at least in my mind 
understanding the themes and understanding the, the philosophy and the ideas behind it. That's just shit that I find really interesting anyways. So like, do I, do I watch both things on TikTok? Yeah. Uh, do I wish the actual film critic that's like, you know, the, the complex themes that are explored in this uh, are really awesome and, and interesting. And here's a brief explanation of that. Uh, had more views than the guy that's like, this was crazy and the the kills were amazing, you know, or whatever. Right. Uh, yeah, like uh, the, the, the sad situation as somebody that runs a website, like what gets views is what pays the bills and uh, you get more of that. So. Yeah, I mean that that's the that's the downside of the internet's democratization broadly speaking is that it's hard to fit nuance of any kind into a bite-sized package. Yep. Like you know, to to get real in-depth anything you need a thousand words, 2000 words minimum. Right. You you don't need like you can't fit it into a minute or a tweet or whatever. Like it yeah, won't fit. Right. It just won't fit. Um so. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, like there are certainly people with the giant Twitter followings that do a really good job of condensing those kind of messages into 140 characters or 380 or whatever the fuck it is. Right. Like. But like, I'm not it. And, and honestly, uh, like I feel like maybe I'm a little bit too old for that. I'm not used to that messaging or something. I don't know. That doesn't mean I don't consume the shit out of content on those platforms. Cause I'll scroll through you know, horror TikTok for hours and, and be like, be like my five-year-old, you know, and just yeah. like be eating oh, I mean, Doritos going to town. Yeah. I mean, there's amazing stuff. And I, I again, I, yeah, nothing I say is to uh, decry the, the creators doing amazing stuff on any of these platforms as much as that, as much as to say that that stuff should always just be the, it should be the, the introduction to that stuff. It should not be the end of yeah. that stuff like yeah. It, it's, yeah it it can't go too far because of its form but it's amazing for what its form is and and that's fantastic gateway stuff for people yeah. in in a yeah. lot of ways that's fair yeah i think that's yeah. good well speaking of um amazing stuff okay <laughs> i uh getting to what i have watched recently yeah i stayed up late because uh, I think it might have been a tweet. Somebody tweeted a link to um, a New York Times uh, editorial about this movie called The Humans. Okay? Okay. Came out in 2021. Uh, the, the cast is fantastic. Uh, a whole bunch of character actors that you will probably um, you will probably recognize. But it is based off of um, this play by I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher his last name, but I'm gonna do my best. It's Stephen Karam. He's a, a Lebanese American. Name of the the play was the same as the the name of the the movie. And essentially, it's just three generations of a Philadelphia family celebrating uh, a holiday in this new apartment that uh, one of the daughters has, has uh, rented. And the, the apartment is incredibly dingy. It's super like lived in, but everybody's kind of excited that they have their own place. And it's fucking miserable. Like everybody gets along and there are these really wonderful moments of comedy and lightness that feel very familial. But like the dad is, is 65 or 70 and he's still working full time and he's very tired and he's still very much in debt. But you know, mom and dad are still working really, really hard. Dad may have some early onset dementia. Meanwhile, he's taking care of his mother who lives. You, you get the, the distinct impression. She either lives with, um, you know, the, the mom and the dad, or she probably has her own dingy, like senior living place that she goes mm -hmm. back to. And it is 90 minutes of a takedown of like in stage capitalism in like five minute increments, you know, cause it's just this family, like confronting the fact that the system has chewed them all up and they are still there still trying to make the best, you know, holiday that they can. Mm -hmm. But it's like, Oh man, like you fucking people are, are it's like a little bit like 
people sitting around a dinner table as Cthulhu looks on and is just like, you know, like what these people are ignoring the fact that this giant other thing exists that is going to make sure that they're all fucked in the long term, you know? And uh, the the apartment probably takes a cake as the best character in the whole thing because it's just, (laughs) uh, it's gross, it's dingy, it's, you know, whatever. And uh, I, I was amazed. It is the best thing I've seen certainly the entire month of January and it'll be, I don't know if it'll make my best of 2022 because I think technically it came out in 2021, but Mm -hmm. if I had watched it in 2021, it would have been a number one on my list. It's fantastic. So everyone needs to, to check out that movie because I don't know. I'm still fucking thinking about it and breaking out in cold sweats and I'm like, (laughs) Holy fuck. Am I that guy? I just don't know yet. Newsflash. I'm we're all that fucking guy. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. There is a, uh, sad, somber nobility to everything that just gets completely wiped away by the end of the movie. That's, that's really good. So go check it out. It's streaming on HBO max. So, and it sounds like the feel good movie of the year. Oh yeah. But I will tell you as, (laughs) as, as like dreary and, uh, I normally do not go for those movies. I think, you know, me well enough to know, like, that the the normal world is dreadful enough. I don't need a lot of that packed on top of it. But the mm-hmm. performances are so good. It's so honest, and it's the first time somebody has showed me the American dream in its stark reality as uh, either not somebody pulling themselves up by their bootstraps or a victim of really terrible circumstances, but everybody that uh, you know, like somebody that did everything right and is still totally fucked. And I, if, if anything can describe the last two years and how I felt about the last two years, it's that fucking movie, man. So yeah, it's called the humans. Check it out. HBO max. I think it's streaming in a few other places. I know it got its premiere at TIFF and then it kind of fell off the the face of the planet. So everyone, the last couple of years, like everything has kind of premiered and then fell off the face of the planet. It's been a a real weird mess. So Mm -hmm. Well, and I think probably five years from now, we're going to discover shit that got released and we're going to be like, why the fuck isn't more people, well, you know, why aren't right, more yeah. people talking about this thing? And they'll be like, oh, oh yeah. yeah, the pandemic ate it. That's what right. happened. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. everything that came out, I mean, not everything, but huge swaths of what came out during these three years is just going to be lost because it, it, you know, didn't pop off right then and we all missed it. Yeah. Yeah. And somebody like, and in my mind, right? Like, uh, I, I think I consider myself a film critic. Uh, I certainly pretend to like, I do that, you know? Uh, but also at the same time, I, I, I enjoyed this platform because we can at least prevent some of those films from slipping through other people's fingers. You know, we can, as small as our reach may be that there are, some loyal fans, all three of them or whatever that are like, Oh man, I need to go watch the humans. And, and right. I will feel vindicated <laughs> because I mean, you'll uh, feel like shit afterwards too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one of the, like for, for all that I was talking about, you know, oh, the role of critics is not to tell people what to watch or whatever, which I do believe is true. It is great to be able to turn people onto stuff though. Like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I posted about Chud, when I watched it, rewatched that I've seen it many times, um, but rewatched it for the show. I posted about to Facebook about it, and like someone was like, "Oh, I got to add this to my list." And I'm like, "Yes, that's fantastic. I love it. Oh when, yeah, I love it when I can introduce someone to something that I think is great." Yeah, well, <laughs> and that's happened a, a handful of times on this show with me. You know, yeah. so I think that's a. I think that's what I like. Friends do, right? <laughs> generally right. speaking. Uh, but also, I think one of the the joys of isolating really great shit is sharing that great shit with other people, yeah. which is part of the reason why I don't like not, not to belabor the conversation about film critics even more. But like, I think people hear critic and they automatically assume critical. Right. right. So they're only going to give you their hot, bad takes on the shit they don't like. And it's like, dude, I don't need that. Yeah. You know, like. If it ain't for you, that's cool. Uh, find something that is, and then maybe it'll be for me too, you know? Right, yeah. 
So if Chud ain't your game, then, you know, stay away from the sewers, right? <laughs> Good That's call. Yeah, That's no. all I got. That's my transition as it's, we... It's uh, good advice. How about just stay away from the sewers, period? Uh, <laughs> all right. I think uh, I do think it's probably time to engage with our essential question tonight, which is, uh, what can Chud tell us about the villains in horror films in the 1980s? Beneath the city of New York are living catacombs, an endless maze of subterranean tunnels, unfit for anything human. Unauthorized for anything experimental. Hold it! There's something moving up ahead in the tunnel! And unlikely to bring anyone down there. So... (laughs) They're coming up. Chud. Check your basement and your bathroom. Keep off the street and try to hide. But remember, the dark is their place. The night is their time. And tomorrow, the only things living in the city of New York will be Chud. Chud. Cannibalistic. Humanoid underground dwellers chud they're not staying down there anymore all right so if you haven't caught chud you should totally go see it on amazon prime because it's there but in case you're not going to do that here is the really quick uh synopsis offered by the internet movie database A bizarre series of sudden disappearances on the streets of New York City seems to point towards something unsavory living in the sewers. Okay, tell me your history with this movie. This was one of your calls. I want to hear, you know, how did Warren engage with the Judd initially and why'd you pick it? Um, First of all, I do love I do love them calling them something unsavory. That's very good. Um. So actually, so this is hilarious. One of my earliest memories of watching a movie is of Chud. Uh, so when I was a kid, the, the, we got like three channels. And um, one of them showed horror movies late at night on Friday nights. And I stayed up late till like midnight to try and watch Chud because I saw a trailer for it. And it looked like Head of Monsters and things and very much my thing. And I watched it and I was, I don't even know, like I was barely in school. Like I was really young. I mean, we're talking way too young to watch R-rated movies. Um, but uh, I I, um, I watched, apparently, now that now that I've rewatched it as an adult, I apparently watched most of it. But um, the part when she discovers the dead dog... Oh yeah, like yeah. terrified me as a kid, and it was for years basically all I could remember about Chud. Like that, I could scene, see that it's fucked that up, was, dude. That scene was traumatic for me as a kid. Um, so I had I had at least watched to that point, which is again having rewatched it most of the way through. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, you're well over half, I think, at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, I'm basically into the like last act pretty much at that point. Yep. Um, so yeah, uh, but so, so it was yeah, formative. It was, it was definitely formative. formative. That was, that was, uh, but like, um, you know, I watched it again uh, in like high school. I think was probably when I saw it again the first time. Um, and I've always loved the acronym. It's maybe the best acronym of all time. Uh, and I've always loved the design of the monsters with their glowing lantern eyes. Um, yeah, it's, it's such yeah. a good, cheap design. Like they're, you know, it, it costs. I mean, they're clearly very low budget monsters, but they look great. Yeah. Um, and then when I was in high school and I was first becoming kind of a film nerd, there was a website that covered primarily genre film that was chud.com. Nice. Um, I don't even was, know that. All right. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was on the website. It stood for uh, cinematic happenings under development. 
Nice. Well done. Okay. Um, it was run by like Nick Nunziata and some other, you know, film crit people. Um, and it was, it was kind of my first exposure to like serious criticism of trash movies, right? Like okay. of, of, of this kind of low budget B grade horror stuff instead of like temple movies. Okay. Um, so, uh, so I have a lot of fondness for, for Chud for a number of reasons. Um, and, and I only get more fond of it actually the more times I watch it because like when I was younger, I was just watching for the monsters and stuff, but now I like, I'm watching it for the, you know, very pointed critique of capitalism that it is. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's dive a little bit into that. I think now, now would be a good time, right? Like, uh, our, our main character, uh, is ultimately, like a, I wouldn't say a, like a starving artist, right? And our main character right. is played by John Hurd, who, uh, you know, as I alluded to in the introduction, is also the father in Home Alone, and essentially is like a artist photographer that does commercial work to pay the bills and to essentially right. satisfy his his model girlfriend's wish to get bigger right and gain publicity or you know whatever it may be uh john hurt's great in this first off like he's a ton of fun he manages to be uh both an artist and a little bit sleazy without like being somebody you don't root for you know like he's 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 an artist but he's very much a blue collar guy like he's yeah 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 yeah, he's um, like, I don't want to do all this high fashion, blah, blah, blah. And we're like, yeah, I mean, you man, get, I... Well, one of the things that's interesting about the movie, um, about, about his character specifically, and and as it relates to the rest of the movie's um, sort of themes, is that, you know, he... You get several implications. It never outright says it. But you get several implications that he used to be a lot better paid, right? Like he, he was a fairly famous fashion photographer. A bunch of people immediately recognize his name when they hear it. And, you know, we, we don't know the names of very many photographers. Like that's right. Um, you, have to be, yeah. you have to be pretty famous as a photographer before, before like random people know your name. Yeah. Um, and so uh, there's, there's definitely an implication that like he was this very well-paid fashion photographer and he kind of turned his back on it in order to, live this simpler life because he was disgusted by it basically yeah yeah um, he wanted he to wanted, return back to his art or whatever right yeah, he, he wanted to take pictures of like important things which turned into these like this story about these homeless people uh, uh, unhoused people that he ends up uh you know following around and yeah. getting involved in the plot because of <laughs> yeah yeah so i uh, like spoiler alert um chud is ultimately about cannibals uh that are also vaguely humanoid that live underground right and like part of the gray area for me and again you've seen this film multiple times i've watched it a couple of times now in preparation for the episode but it was a first watch for me i had seen the sequel which is which has nothing to do with it yeah no no like literally nothing uh yeah and more importantly it's terrible Right. Yeah. And so when you when you were like, let's do this, I was like, yeah, sure. I'm game for whatever. But also, OK, you know, <laughs> like, I guess we'll do this. Uh, and the, obviously, the original is, is much, much better. But it, am I to assume that some of the homeless people have turned into Chud or that Chud has been released and continues like because of the radioactivity and everything continues to make new ones. But I think that they were the homeless people. Okay. The, the right. House people. Like I, my, my, the, the movie never outright says, um, but the, the heavy impression is that the radioactivity mutates these people into uh, chuds. Um, yeah. And, and so I, like, I, uh, so just jump, jumping to like, so, so big spoiler for the very end of the movie. So like, the 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 sort of reveal of what's going on is that the nuclear regulatory commission has been dumping uh, not dumping storing nuclear waste under manhattan and you're told early on that they're storing it because they were trying to move it through and they got hit with an injunction 
so they had to just leave it and couldn't move it through. But at the end, it's revealed that, like, they've actually been storing toxic waste of various kinds down there for years and just not telling anyone about it. Um, And so, yeah, the the chuds are implied to be sort of the end result of this years and years of of, of people dumping toxic shit into places where no one would look at it. Yeah. But which which well, is it, you know very much like a real thing that happens all the time. It just oh, doesn't yeah. use chuds, unfortunately. Well, uh, like it is incredibly important in the context of of where we are in history in in 1980, right? Like, uh, oh yeah, you have uh, really kind of the the evolution and and the birth of these super fun toxic sites, right? That uh, they may not be turning people into cannibals, but they're fucking giving their five-year-olds leukemia you know they're they're right. creating brain tumors and like 60 percent of the population and all these you know like uh yeah yeah all of these places including a couple of significant ones around new york city that like it's very much on the nose when it comes to like oh shit this is a real thing that that uh right. you know cities were yeah. dealing with at the time and I mean, and it, it does, in my opinion, it does a really amazing job of, like, Chud, Chud gets gets sort of relegated to the realm of, like, sort of stupid B-movie. And to some extent it is. Like, it's definitely a trash movie. 100%. Oh, most definitely, yeah. Like, it's a, it's a 42nd Street, you know, Grindhouse trash movie, 100%. But it's also, like, a really weirdly smart one, like a Larry Cohen would, one would be, um, where, like, uh, it's not it's not evil. Like it's not, it's not the normal like mustache twirling evil that causes this to happen, nor is it greed. Like you usually get in a corporate movie. It's negligence essentially. Like bureaucracy, right? Right. It's, it's it's like, this guy's just like, eh, I mean, it's probably not a big deal. So some homeless people will die. Like, it's not a big deal. Right. And like that, that level of just kind of, disregard for the lives of the people who are impacted is so much more, I think what we really deal with in these kind of situations than this kind of malevolent planning that you often see in, in sort of anti-corporate movies. Like it's not, it's not malevolence. It's just not being in touch with people and not caring about them. (laughs) <laughs> right. Well, or or viewing a segment of the population as uh like inconsequential. Uh, right, right. Yeah. Uh, like uh, we, we can uh sacrifice this group a because they have no social value, right? Like uh right. there's nobody to really advocate for them. And and b it is going to be easier on everyone else if we do sacrifice them, right? Like right. when I was thinking about the use of this movie as uh, you know, potential classroom fodder, right? Anytime that you want to have a conversation about this pandemic that we've lived through, we right. have to acknowledge that there are politicians. I mean, like, I, I think that you could approach it in a non-political way in the classroom and be like, there are some people that said at the very early onset of the pandemic and have said really now for two years, lots of people are going to die. We should fucking move on. You know, like yeah. the, those people are expendable. We, you know, right. like, sorry, man. Um, the, the gears of capitalism got to keep grinding fucking through shit. Right. I mean, even right now, like even, even like even very recently, as recently as the last month, we have had people saying, um, you know, yes, the death count is incredibly high, but they're all people who had comorbidities. And I mean, what is that? But saying, well, those people are expendable, right? We're, right. We can sacrifice those people. It's fine. Yeah. And that's, I mean, right. you know, and that's the same thing, right? Like, yeah, so maybe we'll poison some of the uh, people who live in the sewers, but they live in the sewers. Who cares about them? Right? Like, you know, it's, well, it's the same thing, fundamentally. Well, and I really connected to the idea when I started thinking about the, the people that are ultimately impacted by this movie, like their comorbidity, right, uh, is where they live, right? Is, right. is their actual zip code right and now there, there are a couple of links and i'll add them here into the show notes in, in just a bit like you can look at zip codes 
and they are wonderful predictors of life expectancy you know like if you live in one of those good neighborhoods you're literally going to live longer than if you live in a zip code that isn't and uh what is that except a tacit acknowledgement that Chud got it right back in 1980 right. in that I, I, if you happen to live in the sewers, man, your shit's going to turn into a Chud or get eaten by a Chud. It just is what it is, you know? And, and when you turn into a Chud, we'll kill you. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it's not like like their their plan to, to get rid of the Chuds also is essentially genocide. Right. Not just of yeah. Chuds. They're going to flood the sewers with gas and kill everything in the sewer, which includes the non-Chud people who live down there yeah well (laughs) and and i thought very very specifically i couldn't find any uh anything in my research on this movie but the use of gas as a way to solve quote unquote that problem i think is very specific and uh evokes some pretty significant historical imagery especially Mm -hmm. in terms of uh you know folks that in power believe are um uh, either problematic to society or at the very least, uh, dis, uh, you know, disposable. Right? Undesirable, right, yeah. Right, right, right. So, I mean, I, like, one, yeah. one of the key things, because, like, so you, you mentioned, like, John Hurd was our protagonist. But actually, this movie has essentially three protagonists, which is another thing I love. I love it when movies have um, multiple storylines that no one of which actually tells the whole movie. See also like John Cover's The Fog. Um, nice. Yeah. And this one's one where, you know, we have, we have three protagonists who eventually all end up in the same place, but um, spend most of the movie working on separate threads. Um, and, you know, one, one of them is the, the police, uh, the police officer. Um, I, I believe he's like a chief. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the other one of which is one another uh, Home Alone alum, one of the Wet Bandits, uh, yeah. who plays a who plays the the guy who runs the soup kitchen. Um, Reverend, yeah, yeah, the yeah. Reverend, yes, who runs the soup kitchen. Um, and uh, you know, there's there's a moment where like he is confronting the police officer, like the only reason anyone is paying attention now is because people who matter are starting to disappear, right? Like. Like people on the surface are starting to disappear, and even then, they mostly don't pay attention. The police officer gets involved because his wife disappears. Yeah, like it's personal for him. It's not like even right. then, the rest of the department's like, eh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, I don't know. Maybe it's just I'm in that kind of mood, which is an absolute possibility because I, I'm in a mood. I, I think all the time now. It seems like, but. I, I thought there was a striking moment of uh, raw emotion that uh, we really get to see early on in the film where, where Daniel Stern playing the Reverend um, is, is talking about how like people that would come up from the sewers to eat aren't coming up anymore. And he's, he's legitimately concerned about these people. He hasn't seen them in weeks, you know, and yeah. and. I think Stern does a tremendous job of, of providing some humanity in what could very easily be kind of a silly role and reminds me, it like hit me kind of like a ton of bricks. I had this uh, a student who will remain nameless, uh, who I kind of I got through this class, right? I helped him get this, this passing grade so he was on track and he was doing better. And we were not like, best of friends but we had a mutual respect and he was a a good kid that was trying hard and he disappeared for two weeks and uh i just got a notification three days ago that he had moved uh virtual for whatever reason you know and i knew his home life wasn't great and it's like fuck man you know this like kid that i worked really hard to build this relationship with disappears you know in that in the utter feeling of powerlessness when the rest of the system, which, which isn't malevolent in nature, but is incredibly difficult to stop once it's moving in a direction, right? right. Is just going to fucking keep on moving, you know? Yeah. And uh, like that, that, that is going to make the reverend and a lot of teachers feel like shit because your, yeah. your work is inconsequential if it gets in the way of the machine. 
you know? Right. 100%. Yeah. 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 And not to mention, like, there's a whole added level when those people turn on, uh, you know, the reverend at the end of the film and they become the ones that are trying to chase him or whatever. Oh, man. Right. Now yeah. we're all kinds of fucking deep in this shit, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, and this is. Oh, go go ahead. ahead. No, you nope. go ahead. Okay. I was just going to say, uh, I, now might be a good time to mention there is a great article that uh, you got to sign up for an account because it's behind a paywall, but it's, it's very interesting that connects some of the messaging of this movie to uh, Jordan Peele's us. And uh, Peele himself has kind of talked to them about the influence of this movie on his idea that there are like subhumans quote unquote that live underground and uh, you know, are ultimately I, I don't, dispatched treated poorly by society you know oh yeah so oh yeah i mean uh, there is there is definitely a a like not merely a through line like there is there is a a a i don't know like a highway there is an ancestry a family tree that runs directly from chud to us oh like, yeah yeah um we we i mean spoiler alert for what we're doing next but we're going to be talking about jordan peele's us next and i picked it I picked this actually to go with it because they are so tightly bound um, in what they're about. And, and like Jordan Peele has very, very emphatically acknowledged the influence of this on us to the extent of including it in the opening scene of yeah, us, like right. one of the VHS yeah. tapes that's on the TV is Judd. Yeah. Um, and like, and I, and I think there are really interesting um, both parallels and differences in what what they ultimately choose to be about, while also being about fundamentally the same thing. Um. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I like Jor Jordan Peele's movie is intentionally smarter, right, than this one. Right. But you know, at its core. They're both about exploitation, and uh, like, I I appreciate that Chud is doing it in this really kind of, I, I like, indirect way that like like at the end of the day, I really love like we we are full in the depth of eighties politics, right? And very much the the enemy, the bad guy, right? Are never the Chud, right? There there right. is kind of a yeah. really great kind of chase scene that involves um, John Hurd's girlfriend. That's, that's classic and wonderful and great. And it is very much the monster, but it is definitely very much not the bad guy. And right. the bad guy is a government official. It is an elected official doing bad shit uh, for his own electability, his own popularity, you know, whatever. And, I, I, you know, like that shit's coming back if it's not yeah. already here already, you know, like yeah. I get that. There are going to be yeah. a whole lot of people that come out of this pandemic thinking, thinking that uh, a lot of people thought that they were dispend, uh, expendable, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, and one, like, one of the things, and we'll talk about it, I think more when we talk about us, um, that I think is really interesting comparing these two movies. And, and part of it is, Part of it is because us is a smarter movie and and it's intentionally a smarter movie like you said it's it's operating in a a air area where this one is not operating and was never intended to operate um but also like uh but i also think it's a a reflection of the difference in how we think about these kind of things from 1984 to you know 2019 or whenever uh, us came out um is that like us like chud the bad guys, and this comes back to our original question, actually, the bad guys in Chud are very much the system. The system is the villain. Um, yeah. You know, it, 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 is, it is the bureaucracy. It is the system that does not care about these people that it's supposed to care about. It's supposed to protect these people. It's supposed to avoid, prevent this kind of thing from happening. And instead, it's what makes it happen. Um, and us, that's still there. And it's still true. But the villain in us is actually the people who should have helped and didn't. Yeah. Like, it's it's the people who pulled the ladder up after themselves to protect their own success. I like it. 
Um, yeah. Like it's, you know, because, because ultimately, right. We're, we're going to spoil us a little bit here, I guess. Um, but like uh, our, our main character in us at Ad- Adelaide, I don't remember her name. That sounds, that sounds right. Um, she, you know, she, she knew and didn't help. She yeah. could have, she could have helped. And instead she kept it a secret to protect her own security. And, and well, it's, you know, it's, it's a critique of allyship essentially. Right. It's, it's like saying, oh, I you know, like it. You're, I like it. You know, you're, you're pulling the ladder up behind you as you go instead of helping others climb out. Yeah. Well, it's like, uh, that adage that, uh, if you, uh, if you stick one crab in a bucket, right, he'll climb his way right. out. But if you stick a whole bunch of crabs in a bucket, they'll stay in there cause they'll keep pulling each other down. Right. Uh, <laughs> right. And, yeah. uh, yeah, I, like, there are a couple of things before we run too late on time. I, I, I agree with you. I think the, the system is definitely the bad guy. Uh, very, you know, very much represented by the government official in this film. But I, one of the things that the movie, I think, captures really well is dirty New York City. Right. Oh, like yeah. dirty, dingy, fucked up, violent. You know, this is this is. New York City pre Rudy Giuliani, right? So it is. I don't know. My my dad, who is you know seventy five now, from Coffeyville, Kansas, mind you, and a pretty progressive guy from Coffeyville, Kansas, but nonetheless, uh, he went for his senior trip. They went to New York City, and he he swears to this day that they got off the bus, and as soon as they got off the bus, like the, these two guys that were in the street, one of them knifed the other guy. And they like it was like that was my introduction to New York City was watching somebody get stabbed. I'm like that's fucked up. Also, not my introduction to New York City. Like I got up and uh, you know I checked into the Marriott and it was great. And then I saw a Broadway show and it was very clean and very expensive. And you know like this captures New York City from the '80s, where like I mean maybe there weren't shed in the sewers, but it was a different place than I think. Uh, certainly in pop culture than uh, than it is now. You know? Yeah, I mean, and, the, and there's a whole, like, sub subcategory, subgenre of, of these kind of, um, you know, 42nd Street, uh, you know, style New York movies that are very much about what a shitty place New York was in the 80s. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's not, so not, good. Not yeah. to knock New York because I wasn't there. But like, but that's what the movies make it out to be, even if it wasn't. And I know, I mean, I know it had problems for sure. But like, there's there's a whole category of these movies. Yeah. Maniac is one. Uh, Basket Case is one. Uh, pretty much every Larry Cohen movie. Um, yeah. You know, uh, like all, all these all these films about like how grimy and even when it's not dangerous, just like it's dirty. Yeah. Right, it's, it's 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 not safe either. Like it may not be actively dangerous. No one may be stabbing you that minute or whatever, but it never feels stable. It never feels secure. It never feels comfortable for any of the people there. Um, you know, in part because so many of them are living in poverty or right above it. Right, right. like <laughs> yeah. Well, well, even like a, a silly horror comedy like Ghostbusters, I think, right, uh, does a really good job of of identifying that. And yeah, even the people that live in it have a have a discomfort with some of it, but it definitely is meant to feel uncomfortable to the outsider. You know, like right. oh, this is this is not your place, right? right. And uh, I think I think this movie captures that really well. And uh, yeah, like uh, I, I think as an artifact that describes that, it does it does a really good job. Okay, before we get any further, we got to spend at least a few minutes talking about you sent me uh, this uh, this quote by Joe Bob, Joe Bob Briggs, who, uh, you know, has a we love our our folks at Shudder. Their publicity people do a wonderful job and work really closely with us. So but I don't think either you or I are gigantic Joe Bob uh, fans, right? No. But uh, what is what does Joe Bob have to say about this this movie? So I haven't seen the episode um, where he talks about. It. So apparently, when he did the last drive-in, one one of the seasons of the last drive-in on Shutter launched with him doing Shud, I gather, and um, he doesn't like it. Uh, we'll, we'll put it put it that way. 
Um, but like he uh, he believes that it was made, which it was in this case, it was made by like indie filmmakers and like art filmmakers and that kind of thing. And that they felt like they were too good for the material, essentially, um, which I don't know how you watch this movie and do not see a movie made by people absolutely in love with this kind of movie. Right, right. Um, yeah. like that, that, that is completely boggles my mind. But also, like, and I don't mean, like, I don't, I don't watch a show. I've watched very few Joe Bob shows. Um, I didn't grow up with him. I don't have any specific affinity for him. And he's made some comments in the past that I have found infuriating. <laughs> so I, uh, you know, whatever, whatever. Um, but I know a lot of people love him, and I don't want to take anything away from their love for him. But he's got this kind of thing where like horror movies aren't allowed to be about stuff. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, and I feel like his problem with Chud is that it's about stuff. Yeah. As much as like it works, it a hundred percent works. If you watch it just as like, there's some dumb monsters in the sewers. Yeah. Monsters in the sewers are rad. It completely works that way, but it's oh, definitely yeah. a movie. It's definitely a movie about stuff. Just like, you know, every Larry Cohen movie is a movie about stuff. Just like, um, you know, Night, Night of the Living Dead's a movie about stuff. Like, it's a right. movie about stuff. Most horror movies are about stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and in that way, it's kind of the... Uh, he's kind of the antithesis of the horror pod class. There, there's nothing wrong with just watching a movie, right? Like, right. I, I think you and I do plenty of that. The bottom fucking line is, every time Joe uh, John Wick is on, I'll watch the shit out of that. And, like... I'm I'm not looking for you know giant metaphors there. I just like watching Keanu Reeves like kick some ass, right? And there's right. there there is zero problems with that. Right. But making the argument that other films are lesser because they don't do that, I I, I think is is problematic. And and the one thing that he picked out of this movie, uh, or that at least went went along with uh, that kind of uh, thing that you sent me. Was that uh, like horror movies don't do fucking shower scenes anymore? Right. And yeah. And like, I, again, I, I don't know how big of a deal he actually made of that. That's the IMDb synopsis of the episode, uh, which to me feels like, like, I feel like when you pull that out as your IMDb synopsis, like someone anyway was like, man, taking a real, a real hard specific look at that, that I feel weird about that. Yeah, um, right. Yeah, like, uh, a little gross, right? A right. I mean, and I like. I know. I know. Like well, again, I know part of Joe Bob's shtick is that he's very into like how movies used to be in the seventies and eighties, and specifically stuff like they used to be. Um, they used to be outsider movies, right? Like uh, ostensibly, at least, they used to be. Uh, I don't want to say offensive, but they pushed buttons. They, they pushed yeah, envelopes. Sure. You know, they, they, they included nudity for no reason. They included gore for no reason. They, they uh, were there to be, what's the word I'm looking for? Transgressive or. Transgressive. You know, like, yeah. They, they were there to be transgressive in often the laziest way. I mean, yeah. let's be, oh, let's be yeah. frank, right? Like, yeah. what is the laziest way to be transgressive is show some nudity, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then um, and then show that person that got nude get her head cut off or whatever, right? right. Yeah, 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 yeah um, absolutely. And I, and I know he's a big fan of that, and, and there's a place for that, absolutely. But, like, I don't know. Again, when the IMDb synopsis, like, singles it out, that's weird to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, it, because... Um, there's a shower scene in this movie. Right. It, it doesn't, doesn't have, have any nudity. nudity, but like, fuck it, it's got a shower scene. I don't know. It's like, also uh, got a horrifying blood spray at one point. It, it was yeah. it's a little it's a little freaky that shower scene actually. Yeah, right. It is uh, uh, mostly because like we I, I've had drains back up on me and I pulled some shit out of the drain before and. That whole process is kind of fucked up. So yeah. to me, I don't know. Like the bottom line is I watched a lot of horror movies in, when I was a teenager uh, because of those qualities. I knew that they would have easy uh, nudity in them. I, it, that was titillating, you know. Right. And and I'm not saying that they're, that that doesn't serve a purpose or oh, yeah. that, 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 that that is wrong or whatever. What I am saying, though, 
is that cannot and that should not be the only thing horror is. Right. Because and, if it is, we're all in trouble. And there are, as there are with everything, and the, the, and this is why I have trouble with things like analogies about like how elevated horror or whatever is better than trash horror like Chud, right? Or whatever you want to call it. There are better and worse ways to make everything, including, you know, gratuitous nudity, including, sure. uh, including trashy 42nd Street monster movies. Like there are better and worse examples of all those. And when all you do is say, well, this includes these elements, therefore it's one of the good ones or whatever, that's not, that is not being fair to it or those elements or anything really. It's, I, it's, you know, it's, it's unhelpful at yeah, the end of the day to anyone. <laughs> yeah. I, I could not, could not agree more. All right. I think it's time for our four corners before we run out too much time. Yeah. Uh, all right, so this is a section here at the end of our discussion where we give you a couple of movies each that we think would go really, really well um, as double features with Chud. I have two. The first is Mimic. I think there's a lot of really great kind of, uh, maybe not, if it's not sewer, it's uh, like b- b- beneath the street imagery. Right. Uh, it's also got monsters that kind of are human and kind of not um and then my other is mulberry street which is one of my absolute favorites it uh is directed by jim mickle who's done a couple of other films that i really really enjoy including Stakeland. but uh it's it is a grimy gross I don't know if it is takes place specifically in new york city but it might as I well it does yeah yeah does, in this actually. this fucking nasty uh like apartment building where shit shit goes wrong real quick mostly as a result of the kind of dinginess of the of the setting which uh you know absolutely you know chud really relies on to to tell its message all right what did you pick uh so i picked um alligator from 1980 which incidentally it's great um coming out on like 4k uh uhd like any day now and i am so excited because alligator is so good all right Um, all right uh so yeah um you know it's it's another like monsters in the sewers movie that's also uh weirdly very humanistic and very like critical of a lot of the infrastructure um just like chad And then uh, my other one was I picked uh, actually Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Live <laughs> that, action one. that was on my list for I a little while. I actually saw it on your list. And when I saw it on your list, I was like, damn it, he beat me to it. And then you took it <laughs> off. And I was like, yes, taking it. Um, <laughs> just because like, okay, so Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is like you took the visuals of Chud and you made a PG-13 movie with it. Yeah. Like the New York of Ninja Turtles to the extent of like the shots of the rainy rain slick streets at night and the manhole covers are like identical yeah. to the ones in Chud, right? They look so much alike. And I love that. And I love that about Ninja Turtles, about how grimy the original is. Yeah. Um, yeah. For, it's like a kid's movie. Um, so yeah. Well, that, I, that, that's the thing, right? Uh, sometimes we do, uh, we do movies where I'm like, there's no fucking way I could ever use this in class. Even though, you know, arguably that's the purpose for this movie. You know, I might be able to, or for this podcast, I might be able to like find five or 10 minutes of the film to kind of show to elucidate a point. But you could cut about 15 minutes out of Chud and you could share the whole fucking thing. You oh, know? yeah. And, and like, I just love that idea that my kids could come to class and be like, hey, guys, we're, we're talking um, about the new infrastructure bill. And we're going to watch Chud because I think it uh, will go really well with it. <laughs> I mean, so so going, I mean, going back to Chud for just a minute, like, so there's a moment, I mean, I love Chud. There's a moment in Chud um, where, and this this emphasizes kind of what you're talking about, where the Chuds have come to the surface and they have killed tons of people, like 15 or 20 people, right? But you don't see it 
you see this diner where the outside walls are just streaked with the blood that has run down them. Yeah. And it is so much better than actually having seen what happened there. Yeah. Like, it's such a good... Set design. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's such a good set piece and nothing happens. Like, nothing happens on screen at all. They just stand yeah. around it talking. And yet it's one of the best set pieces from this era. It's amazing. Yeah, it, it really is. It really is something. The first go around, you're like, oh, wow. Okay. It's it super neat. Oh, man. Well, uh, we're kind of reaching our, our end point here, yeah. Warren. Anything left to say about Shed? No. Um, a bunch of people on my letterbox that give it really low reviews, which, again, if you want to be wrong about Chud, that's your prerogative. But Chud is great. <laughs> um, go, go watch Chud. It's super good. <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely i it was the first time watched before we uh decided to pick it and it uh yeah man it was it was a ton of fun and i was was really glad that you picked it because uh it, it, like it's such a different film than the you know the, the scream series which is what we just got done with <laughs> but it's it's really nice to return back to um you know uh, an era where our films even if it's by accident have something very specific to say about oh, yeah. the culture that they come from. And, and Chad is, is, is absolutely that. All right, Oren, uh, where can they find more of your stuff on the internet? Uh, I am as always Oren Gray at Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Letterboxd, uh, wherever else. I don't even remember all those, all those damn places. And uh, OrenGray.com. Love it. Very good. You can find more of my stuff at Ty Ansel. Uh, on Twitter and where I'm mostly tweeting about uh, the horrors of being a teacher right now, but occasionally I'll break out into something else. Otherwise, uh, follow all of our shenanigans over at signalhorizon.com where we continue uh, to put out content that hopefully makes you see a little bit further when it comes to your genre content. And as we told you last time or a little bit earlier in the episode, what are we talking about next week, Oren? We're going to be talking about Jordan Peele's Us. Yes, it's going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. Yeah, 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 yeah. I cannot wait to dig in and get some research on that. So it's going to be good stuff. And until then, class dismissed.